the West of North London podcast, where we sit down each and every week to answer your big Arsenal questions. I'm Caleb. And I'm Tim. Well, I was just was just saying to you that I feel like we we had a great game to talk about, and now and now it's been totally torn apart by some other controversy. Oh, is there other things going on in the Arsenal verse right now? <laughs> yeah, j- just wait. You'll see it all on TV next year. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, I wonder if it's just driven by Amazon. Like, they paid Arsenal to do these they're, things. Just... They're just uh, stirring shit up in the background and, and watching it fall apart. Just just for I, the entertainment. I haven't watched the All or Nothing for Tottenham because I just refuse to go through that hellhole. But I've watched all the other ones and it feels like this one might have the most drama so far. For sure. The high highs and the low lows. lows. Yeah, I think this might be... Because the other one was Man City. There was the Tottenham one. Was it South... No, Southampton wasn't all or nothing. What was the other? There's a uh, Juventus one, right? Oh. I think... But that's in Italian and a lot of people haven't watched that one. Other than that, like I think those are the two big ones, right? For for soccer, I should say, or EPO. I think honestly, Arsenal could have two seasons. Like they, they might be the first team that they have to come back for. Like it's <laughs> too, it's too good. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing. <laughs> I don't know. The cliffhanger, you know, we get maybe this season goes better than we expect. We get yeah. that Champions League berth at the end of the end of the season. And it's like, oh, we're just setting it up for season two, riding into the Champions League. It's, I think it's still technically possible to win the league. So, Oh, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> just for the entertainment value on, on this documentary series. Could you imagine? Oh, sorry. My well, imagination just ran wild there. So I'm <laughs> get back to the ground now. Yeah, I, I'm... The more the more stuff that happens, the more I'm very excited to see all the all the um, gaps get filled in by yeah. this, this camera crew, or maybe it just leaves more questions because they can't cover everything. You know, I'm you know, sure uh, Arsenal's going to try to keep the, the lid on some of this stuff. Well, the, the thing is, Arsenal does have final say on anything that gets out. I was listening to a podcast that was talking specifically about the Juventus, and it is basically a PR thing. There's there, there's not much that's going to get out that we don't already know in a lot of ways, or at least that the club doesn't want us to know. Because yeah. like Arsenal has final say on a lot of this stuff. So, Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's going to be very clean. Yes, exactly. Doesn't mean it doesn't have value, but it's I, if you're waiting for some like major res- revelations from that documentary, you probably are going to be disappointed. I... I... I don't expect major revelations, just just maybe some more color to these situations. <laughs> um okay, let's let's get into to drinks before we get too far ahead of ourselves here. What, do you have a new one? I don't. I don't oh, I, you promised. You promised the listeners. I, I know. I, I have I went back to the steady orbit uh Nkasi IPA that I had before. Oh nice. It's fine. <laughs> but it's not what I promised, so I, I failed. I don't think we can ever trust you again. I, I, I cannot I, be I, trusted with this beer situation because <laughs> if I have, I, I I know I have beer in my fridge. I get lazy. It's like I'm not going to go to the store. I have beer. 
I specifically go to the store if I don't have something <laughs> new because that's how much I care about the listener. You, you care so much more about beer than than I do. <laughs> Just like, is it going to get me from A to B? Then let's do yes. it. Let's ride. Well, uh, I got my new one is a very hard to pronounce beer from Matchless. Ooh. And it's a Tomava Sova dark Czech lager. Uh, I love dark lagers. This is like... I am not the hugest of those like winter ale fans, you know, like that super sicky, sweet. I mean, depends on the winter ale, but like it's not my necessarily my favorite. But this time of year, I love a dark lager. Mm-hmm. I will have all the dark lagers in the world. This will probably not be the last dark lager you'll see on this uh, <laughs> this section. And it's good. This one is good. It It's kind of weird because they have all the statistics on there. And the yeast they used is called owl, which I don't understand. I've never heard of a yeast called owl. I don't know what they're talking about. It's just ground up owl bones. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? And, uh, but it was fine. It was a dark lager. I like a little bit more character to my dark lagers. And this was just, you know, a a straightforward. There was nothing bad. I, I drank it. I liked it. I enjoyed it. But, it's not something that I go like, I, I think is the most special beer I've ever had or anything like that. It was a very drinkable, quaffable dark lager. Comes in at about like, what, 5%? Yep, exactly 5%. Hmm. All right. Yeah. I mean, I generally like Matchless. They're out of Tumwater. They're a cool little brewery. I've had some really good beers of theirs. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's not saying I wouldn't buy it again. Just, you know, if I were given a, a, a huge lineup, I might try something else just to see if there is something better out there. I will give a review to a beer I had earlier this week just to make good. Um, okay. Just because I have nothing new, but I did drink a new beer this week. Oh, um, beer? I had uh, a beer from Stoop Brewing mm-hmm. called the Please and Thank You IPA. <laughs> and it clocked in about 7.2%, I think. Ooh, yeah. That is Please and Thank You. Yeah. Um, and that was it was a solid a very solid IPA. I think it had um some mosaic and oh citra and one more and I can't think of what it was. But good mm. good combination in the lesson. Yeah, I had a couple of those. That was that was my new beer of the week. It just didn't make it home with me. <laughs> I mean, I, I love stoop. Stoop anything stoop does, I will go out of my way to find and do. Like they're they're a great brewery. So yeah, yeah. I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Was it a specifically Letterkenny kind of quasi themed? That's a good, you know i I was I, I nothing jumped out at me in the description that they were calling out Letterkenny per se. No, but that now that you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's a phrase from Letterkenny. I also friend of the uh, pod Jordan, who is actually Canadian, says please and thank you all the time when he orders beer. So it might be specifically a Canadian thing. <laughs> yeah, that could be. It does not taste like a Canadian lager or anything like that. Mm. Definitely has a little bit more punch than, than just a lager. Just a bit more punch. Um, okay, what's uh, what's what's Tim's bit this week? Well, I think this episode is going to be Captain Talk all day, every day. So I figured I'd just start with the uh, Captain Talk. And so my question is, and it comes from you know reading some of the Discord uh, chatter, which. A, join our Discord, and we'll talk about how to join it later, but join our Discord for some awesome conversation and live game stuff. But in the Discord, someone mentioned that the captaincy seems to be cursed. Hmm. 
So I was figuring like, why not just get rid of the captaincy and create another office, another title for it since the captaincy is cursed. And what, what type of office, what type, what would you call this new not captaincy? Hmm. It's, uh, the office of referee relations <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> um on field operations oh i do love on field operations i think the on field operations manager would be a brilliant title i like that coming from somebody who is an operations manager currently <laughs> that is uh as a as a title near and dear to my heart yeah, I mean that's much better than anything I could come up with. I was like thinking like lieutenant or like something like that, but yeah, admiral. But I, I love <laughs> Oldfield's operation manager. <laughs> Just completely get rid of the idea of a captaincy. I mean, your armband, like you know, normally you have the letter C on the armband. Like it would have to be a little bit longer. But <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, it would just say it just say field ops. Oh, field ops. <laughs> I, I I feel like this has legs. I, I I don't understand why we can't totally do on-field's operation manager. Yeah, I like it. It it, right. it it gives people more of an idea of what they need to be doing on the field, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think this is what I'm going to call from now on. <laughs> and add and pad like 20 minutes to each episode, <laughs> especially this one. Well, that being said, I, I know we're going to talk talk a good chunk on the captaincy um it's unavoidable yep uh but before we do let's let's talk about the game that led to the controversy or that kind of exposed the controversy i guess and and specifically it's i i i think it would be fun to talk about the game without going into the controversy because i I know well outside of what you know of the news leading up to the game it really had zero effect on the game itself, as far as I could tell. Yeah. I mean, the, again, without going too deep into it, it, it kind of reminded me of like when this happened again with the uh, North London Derby or Derby mm-hmm. earlier in the year. Mm-hmm. That, you know, the team just got on with what they're doing. And I, th- I think the performance on the field was it was good. I think it was, it's, it's worthy of a, of, of a mention without trying to go into the ins and outs of the captaincy. Right. Which, Besides the obvious, besides the big glaring Oba missing, what do you think of the lineup? Well, uh, you know, I'm always surprised. I think it's it, it is surprising when we get a, a run of a couple games that have the same lineup because I'm so used to Arsenal having to rotate players, or um, it just kind of seemed like there was no, it. it it was never the case for the past couple seasons with Arteta where we saw a lot of the same lineups. It just seemed like for one reason or another, there was tinkering or some injuries or red cards or something which forced things to change. This season, we've seen a lot more consistency, and I definitely appreciate that from um, just a growth point of view, like allowing these players to gel with each other and and uh, work on their chemistry. Uh, it helps a lot when you are surrounded by the same people every week. Uh, so the consistency is, I, I think it pays off. And we saw in this game, there was a bit more, um, it just kind of, it, it, things looked like they were clicking a bit, especially on that first goal. It felt like that was like a culmination of things, um, that 
this the types of players that we brought in um you know are there for i think that was like a textbook example of playing out from the back and what (laughs) what that can turn into um and the players involved like they had to be an inch perfect on their passing and it was delightful to see that so i I felt like um this lineup was 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 solid for me I, i didn't wasn't too surprised by it at all yeah, I think uh, I don't think it's a surprise, but the only of note for me was uh, having tyranny on there on the back line, and uh, it just felt nice to have him back. It's not, it's not uh, you know a, a slight on Tavares, I think, but I just I I do think the team looks better with tyranny in it. Yeah, I, I think it, it, having Tavares is a nice a nice problem to have because really you have two players that are. Um, competing and offer something different, and I think with Tavares too, he he can come in at other positions. So having him on the bench to change things up if you need to find a goal or cause some chaos, you know, like he's he's there. And so, um, what Tierney offers and what what Tavares offers, uh, it it can can change your look a bit. So I, I appreciate that we have options there. And then if, you know, it, it, it pushes, it pushes them, but it also is a, a safety net. You know, if we, we've seen some of the fragility with tyranny over the past couple of seasons. Um, so it gives you peace of mind that there's somebody, somebody waiting in the wings if something were to happen. Yeah, exactly. But then other than that, it seemed like a fairly, you know, steady lineup in like, even with this whole Obama Yang controversy like I, I don't think it's a lineup that would have been surprising even if he was available for for first election mm-hmm. in general i think it's a lineup we would have just kind of not necessarily batted an eye on and i think against a team like southampton who is is falling like a stone i think it was a a good choice just to keep things together and you know prove prove correct yeah i think that maybe the only thing i was wondering about was the status of Emil Smith Rowe. Uh, he was on the bench for this game and I imagine he's still working his way back to full, full strength, full health. Um, but I think if he was available, I don't know necessarily what you would change. Like, I guess maybe move Martinelli up top and, and let Emil Smith Rowe take his spot back from, from the, on, on the left. Um, but I'm not, I'm not really sure. Like it's, it feels like Martin, the way Martinelli has been playing, he feels pretty undroppable to me. Whereas Lacazette's been, I mean, despite his, his involvement in the, the goal in this game, I don't know if like he's undroppable for me at the moment. No, I mean, I, I think in taking this game into account, I was just going to ask you about Martinelli, how you felt. And I, I thought it was a great game. I thought, yeah, I mean, Lacazette does have his uses and I think you see it a little bit more in these types of lineups. But I, you know, I think you can make a good case for him not necessarily starting every game. Yeah, I, I, I like that there's players and that we can rotate. Um, but I do feel like you're, you've got a player in that gazette who's got his foot one foot out the door, right? Like I don't think he's there's any chance he comes back at all. Um, now maybe things change. I don't know. We'll talk more about that later, but, yeah. um, you know, Martinelli has been 
has has proven his worth. I think he's going to continue to get better. I think testing to see if he could play up top is not a bad idea. Maybe you don't start him there. Maybe you kind of um, play with things as, as, as substitutions occur. But, you know, it's for me, it, it's how can we develop the players around him to use him the best way? I, like, I, 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 I want to call out that uh, Ramsdale pass or, yeah, we'll call it a pass because he <laughs> he led Martinelli perfect. Like I think it was right before the end of the first half, fish somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, just the perfect pass to get Martinelli on the run. And um, first of all, amazing from Ramsdale. Like we knew we had he had some amazing passes in him. I think that was the most pinpoint thing I've ever I've seen from him yet. Um, with kind of a side footed volleyed. I, I don't even know what you call that. He's, he's just, he, when he goes long, it's, it's a line drive. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not a bit, it, it doesn't take long to get to the player. It is very much a, a speedy pass to get, get players on the run. And, uh, I was impressed with that. Uh, and it's, I think everybody in that stadium, including Ramsdale was disappointed when Martinelli couldn't finish it, but that's the <laughs> kind of stuff that you can continue to, hope develops and it's interesting to me that that kind of thing was happening with Martinelli and haven't really seen that from Aubameyang when he's been on the field. So I think that that there's options that open up with Martinelli that you don't have otherwise. And I think he's, he's proven that he is worth keeping around and worth keeping in the starting lineup some way or another. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, getting back to the Lacazette uh, or Martinelli thing, it's a really difficult balance because you have, short-term goals and long-term goals. And I think in a lot of ways, Lacazette could probably help a little bit more in the short term. I think he's probably a little bit more consistent in front of goal. He's going to get you those those goals you need, has that leadership capability that I don't think Martinelli necessarily has right now. Mm-hmm. So I think in the short term, you're trying to get squeezed as much as you can out of Lacazette before he goes. Because I think, you know, again, this can we're probably going to talk about this later, but he's probably leaving. Uh, sooner rather than later, whereas Martinelli, I think, will probably stay. But uh, you also have to give the chance for Martinelli to develop and get that in-game you know, uh, practice that is what sharpens these players to be world-class players. So it's a, it's a little bit of a give and take. And I think, I mean, I think Arteta is actually doing it really well right now where he's looking at these games. I mean, the Southampton game is a winnable game. This game, you know, should have been a win and it was a win. And he's looking at how he can make his player selection in that way without taking it necessarily for granted. But uh, whereas like some of the other games, he's shifting around some players and things like that. But, you know, I think going forward, you're you're going to try and fade out some of these players like Aubameyang and Lacazette, you know, disciplinary reasons or not, and try and putting in more of these uh, Martinelli's and hopefully Balogun and things like that in the attacking uh, part of the field. Mm-hmm. So what, uh, what, uh, outside of the lineup, you know, I, I feel like that, that the game, like had a weird feeling at the beginning of it. And it looked, Arsenal looked real rough. I was very nervous that they were not going to be able to get things worked out. Uh, as far as, uh, Southampton's press, 
Like they were, they were misplaying passes through that first 10 minutes. I was like, are they going to struggle in this game? I, I, it, I wasn't sure if they were, were up for it after the previous game. I, I wonder if it's a little bit of the, uh, the Everton hangover, the menu hangover where we were just a little bit pessimistic coming in. But I actually did feel fine. And, you know, I, I thought it started out a little tougher than I had hoped, but I wasn't, I didn't feel worried in those first, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes personally. I, I you know, I, I thought Arsenal could be doing better, but I didn't feel like it was, the game was getting away from them in any, no. uh, any way, shape or form. And I, I've really felt that, you know, Arsenal really has, really owns, I think about from 10 minutes after kickoff to about 10 minutes before kickoff is where you see peak arsenal in general. So I'm never really worried until I don't see peak arsenal time period. Mm. Uh, so yeah, it was, you know, not an ideal start, but I don't think it was the worst start in the world. And then, you know, you know, you score that goal and then things just, you know, fall into place. Right. Uh, that we could talk a bit more about that goal. Um, just, like I said, a text textbook example of playing out from the back. And, and I think this Southampton really played into Arsenal's hands. Um, you know, despite this initial struggles that Arsenal seemed to be having, um, just kind of connecting passes and, and playing out of the press. Um, the, once they got on a roll, it, it looked pretty smooth. And it was again, a reminder that the, uh, the players that we have brought in to, um, I don't know, p- p- play in this style really do fit that um, and and can play under pressure, are, are made to play under pressure. And when you can play out of that, it, it makes a huge difference. I mean, it opened the field up for them um, once they were able to uh, get out of the 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 pressure that Southampton was putting on him. And it started with Ramsdale, you know, soaking up some, some, uh, some of that pressure and, and getting a pass out to, I think it was white and who sent, uh, well, it might've been out to party who was, a, I think it was par- party that got it, got it rolling, but I got to give it up to Tommy Asu on that play. I thought he had, a, he had a couple of key passes in there and his, his control with both feet and his passing, and his, um, you know, he bombed, he, he bombed forward in that, like he was, the, he was an option in the box for when, when Saka was, um, finally able to put a cross in. And I was just really impressed with how much he, he was involved in that buildup and, uh, that he was willing to sprint into the box and like good on him. Like he's really impressed me week after week. I mean, I, 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 I don't. I I can't have enough good things to say about Tommy Asu. I, he's quickly become like a cult hero for me. Like just say like absolute probably like you know if I bought jerseys and bought a you know names on jerseys, I'd have him on the back of my jersey hands down right now. He, he might be my next one. <laughs> I, I well, yeah, him or Odegaard. I can't decide. But no. <laughs> next next season, we'll see. We'll see how we'll things see. play out. Yeah. Um. But yeah, what did you think of that first goal? I I loved it. I I thought it was you know great team play, and I you know it's 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 always nice to have Lacazette finishing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's I mean he didn't make the goal, but he it, it's 
it's nice that he was able to finish it. And really, I thought my my favorite thing about the goals, and I know this is going to be silly, but seeing Ramsdale make that knee slide after the after the goal, uh, mimicking like I I almost want like a gif of the two of them like sliding together or whatever. <laughs> it was it's just great to see. I think he knows that 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 really. I mean, it, it, he was directly involved in getting that that play kicked off. I, you know, it's not exactly an assist, but it's as as about as good as it gets for a goalkeeper to get things rolling. And he really was um, put under a lot of pressure throughout the game, uh, mm-hmm. but was able to step up and make saves, make passes. He did everything he was asked, and again, another solid solid performance from him. Like yeah. signing signing of the season, but like. Ta- <laughs> Tommy Asu is right there in that conversation for me. So I, that was nice to see them both involved in that, that buildup. Yeah. And what's nice about seeing the kind of the, the back half of Arsenal is not only that they're, they, they feel very defensively solid. It's, it's that they're able to start the plays and, and, and start the art offensive going from the back, you know, which I don't think has always been the case and not just, uh, Recklessly, I know that there's been times in uh, in the past where you know you've had offensive defenders, but it's been more re- reckless when they do it. Whereas this feels like a very controlled, you know, part of a system. I, I I think this is when you're seeing some of Arteta ball like really take hold, and it, you know it comes from from Pep Guardiola, that comes from uh, Bielsa. It's like the, this idea of playing from the back and trusting that your back can move it forward, as opposed to just you know punting it forward and hoping. And you're. I think you're you're seeing more and more of it because we're getting the players that can actually execute it. And Ramsdale, Tommy Asu, these are players white men white. These are players that can execute this this idea of of how it, how our Tennessee's soccer should be played. Yeah, you mentioned Bielsa, and I it reminded me that I was reading something today about um, how I think Tommy Asu was asked uh, at some point earlier in the season. Uh, I think he was. It was a a Japanese interview, and he was asked why White wasn't passing to him, and <laughs> people were trying to read into that, of course. Um, but the 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 conversation was basically that White was actually too he was too good of a player to pass to to Tommy Asu, meaning <laughs> when he was at Leeds, he was taught yeah. by by Bielsa. You do not when in the buildup of play. You do not pass to your outside backs. You yeah. want to go down the middle. You want to go farther up the field. You do not want to put your outside back under pressure. And so, in 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 the way that Bielsa runs his teams, the center backs are never passing to the outside backs. And so, it's nothing. There's no slight on Tommy Asu. Tommy Asu is just like, no, that's that's not what you're supposed to do as a center back. When I played center back, I know that I don't do that. So it's not a slight on me. It's just not what you do. Yeah. And I think it, it, I could go on a whole one, on one of these off seasons, we're going to have to do like, you know, long podcasts about other things other than Arsenal. Cause I could talk a lot about Bielsa and I have a, despite the, uh, the latest result from Leeds today, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I could, I could go on a long talk about Bielsa and his, uh, his, his effect, but you, you really do kind of see it kind of springing forth in Arsenal. And it just, you know, it's, it's why you have to be patient with Arteta or why you had to early on, which is that he had to get the right pieces in, in, in place to, to try and, you know, create this thing. And I think in the defense specifically, you're starting to see, or not even starting, you're really 
seeing it be there, you know, with our, our back line fairly, you know, from Ramsdale to the, uh, the, the backs, you're seeing it fairly solidified. There's a, you know, a couple pieces that move in and out, but it's, it's, I think the way we're intended to play mm-hmm. and it's, it's nice to see. And hopefully, you know, the midfield can get to that point as well. And then you can slowly move up is I think what we're trying to do. Yeah. And I, there's always been talk about, he hasn't had the striker that he needs or, you know, that fits what he's trying to do. And you kind of wonder if that's um, one of the big missing pieces that would help the midfield as well is having the right striker to get on the end of their balls. So we'll, yeah. we'll have to wait and see if that's something that comes to comes to fruition in this window, in this January window, or if that's something that's going to be on the wish list for the summer transfer window. <laughs> well, we'll see, speaking of midfielders, uh, what do you think of the, uh, the second goal? <laughs> I, we, I think because of the last couple games, the, res, the, the end result has kind of glossed over, uh, the impact that Odegaard has had, you know, he's three for three and we haven't really talked about him, which is a shame because I've been waiting for this all season for him to like (laughs) get on a run and to actually show his, his best. And so it's nice that we got a goal from him in a third game in a game that we won. And amazingly enough, you know, he was even seemed surprised that it was from his, from his head, which is not what you'd expect from him. Um, I mean, did you see the the quote? I forget where I read the quote, but the quote was that he has never, and he said that this himself in his entire history of a player, including like non-professional growing up has ever scored a headed goal. (laughs) It was kind of just teed up for him. I mean, it was a bizarre uh, run up to that goal um you know Tierney kind of trapped it like rather you know he misplayed it but mm-hmm. um had two, had two or three chances at getting <laughs> getting the ball into the box finally it, it kind of loops up and and Odegaard just happened to be at the right place at the right time and um by no means I think it was an amazing or pretty goal but it was the right thing at the right time and I think that was the important takeaway for me was that um, after that first goal, I was really like, okay, go do it. They're, they're on the ropes, like get this done, put two goals away and then watch this game open up. And I think that really did do the trick. It forced, it forced the the Southampton team to kind of let off the pressure a little bit. Like they had to open up and try to get, get the ball up the field and, and they couldn't, they couldn't stick to their game plan after that. And that was, that's exactly why it's hopefully a learning experience for this team in that they benefited so much from um, scoring, well, A, scoring early-ish in the, in the half, but following it up, like getting mm-hmm. that second goal, it makes a huge difference. And hopefully that's something they can take into future games and realize that it's it, sitting back is not the way to go. But I think there is that... Um, you know, especially against Man United, I understand like there's a, a little bit of fear that creeps in and they got to get over the fear. They got to lean in and, and go hard at no, no matter who the opponent is. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, yeah, it, it's hopefully, the, as you said, that, that the learning lesson, because there's so many times when we've had the run of play that we've just looked so good and then we don't convert those into not just one goal, but two goals, you know, just mm-hmm. just put those balls in because 
I mean, I, I want to say the the Liverpool game even, like we had the run and play for a good chunk of time and we were just not putting it in. And there, there's there's points where it's one thing to have the run and play and have the tactics right and have the players and have your tails up. But if you can't convert that into goals, it sounds obvious. But if you can't convert that into goals and goals with a plural, you, you, you're you not going to necessarily win long gone are the days of one nil to the arsenal like I, I don't think that's how you win games anymore i think once you put that second goal in it puts the team on such a different foot because you know you said it again perfectly which is that the game plan goes out the window when you're two goals down right i i think it, you're more likely to get that third you know <laughs> it's, it's it's more likely to go that way than the other direction like yeah. you're you're not going to suddenly be exposed and have to um, change your game plan when you're in the lead. Like you can keep doing what you want to do. And that's the important, like that, if you want to play how you want to play the whole game, then you have to be aggressive and you have to be um, applying pressure throughout the whole game. There's at no point should you be letting off. There may be ways that you can play where you are, uh, you know, reserving your energy a little bit. It doesn't mean you have to be um, pressing pressing throughout the whole game as hard as possible you know it's like there are moments where you put apply the pressure and cause turnovers at the right point part of the field you know turnovers there into the field help a lot you know like that's that's what you want to be doing but you know if you if you can't apply that pressure then absorb it and and go on the counter like there's many ways to to continue to um keep teams on their heels and i think that is something that they um they have to figure out still. I, I, I think like it, this this sort of game we've seen them have success in, where they're able to um, capitalize on the uh, space that they're given. You know, when a team's putting a lot of pressure on them, um, but when a team sits back, I think they they have struggled a bit. And so finding ways to um, pick teams apart a little bit when they're playing, you know nine men behind the ball like that's that's where they have to figure figure it out a little bit more yeah it's it's one of those uh things where it feels like Southampton is this team that we you know we are going to beat and you know uh, uh brentford aside we have done well this season of taking care of the teams that we should take care of and I'm just hopeful that maybe we can build on these momentums, start taking care of the teams that are less certain that we should take care of the Man Uniteds of the world, the Chelsea's of the world, the cities of the world. I think that's the uh, the next step. And hopefully, with these games, we can learn some lessons within just like a you know winning three 0 Yeah, absolutely. Um, before we we get too far ahead of ourselves here, you know, we had a a third goal in this game. Yes. Um, and it was interesting. I I'm trying to remember. Oh, Gabriel had like a second. Uh, well, this is like his second goal. Basically, <laughs> um, he had a a close attempt. Like I think just a few minutes before this goal went in. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was from. I'm trying to remember the lead up to it, but it, it ended up being called offside. So it was uh a close one for him. And I, it was unfortunate that it was ruled offside, but I'm, I'm glad he got a second chance at it. Cause it was, it felt like he was due for, for a goal. 
Yeah. I mean, in that first offside, it, it was such a razor thin margin on that offside's call. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but it was nice for him to get the goal. I think it, it, it's also nice to have the goals coming from all sorts of places, not just your, your striker. Like we literally had a striker defender and midfielder score in this game, which is just, it's, it's a, a nice thing. I, I think, you know, I, part of the problem maybe with previous years is that we're dependent on one or two players to get all the goals. And if you have goal dangerous people across the field, it makes it harder to defend. Absolutely. And that, that's the other nice thing about, um, Odegaard getting in the goal goal scoring too. It's like we've had we've had Emil Smith Rowe kind of carrying the the load of the midfield scoring. Um Saka's gotten a, a couple uh but you know you you want that whole band scoring as much as possible to especially when your um strikers have been lacking a little bit. It's got to come from somewhere and that's that next group is is been where a lot of the action is. So they've got to convert and I was kind of expecting that from uh, Emil Smith Rowe and Saka this season. I didn't really expect Odegaard to be a big scorer. I thought he would be more of a facilitator, assist guy. But he hasn't really. I don't think he's had any assists this season. He's really a. When you look at the way he plays, he's the secondary assist guy. He's he's yeah. the guy. He's the pass before, um, which is fine. And, and and I don't expect his his assists to be like on an Oza level necessary necessarily or anything like that. But he, he's just, he's an important player. He's, he's always involved in moving things forward to have that come in the form of goals. is is like icing on the cake, really. Like I, it, it was not an expectation of mine this season. Well, and it's, it's, uh, more it's also a function of where he's playing on the pitch that he is uh, he's not playing just a central midfielder he's definitely an attacking midfielder with a capital a on that attacking when we're playing one striker and he's just kind of behind he's that player that's kind of in between a striker and a midfielder and that's mm-hmm. why i think we're seeing a lot more goals come from him as opposed to you know the the assist because you know when he's getting the ball there's not a lot of people in front of him usually yeah, and he's making that late trailing run um, and getting himself into good areas. So I think it's it's the chances are he's going to score a few more this season. And I, I'm ex- I'm excited for it. Yeah, and, and again, not to short shift uh, Gabriel. I think we kind of glossed over it a little bit, but it's it's nice to see him scoring. I think uh, he's also quickly becoming that you know rock in the midfield that we can really depend on and. At this point, I'm kind of saying like David Luiz, who with uh, him <laughs> in that position. Yeah, I, I I was thinking about that with um with our back line in general. It's you know we've had we've had some mistakes. It's not like to say that they're. I think Tavares had had a couple bad giveaways and such, but uh, for the most part, our central our, our central defenders have been really solid and not like prone to giving up bad mistakes. I mean, white. White has had a couple that like maybe he could have done more on, but like it's not those egregious errors where they're um, giving away bad penalties or, you know, going to ground early and letting a player just run right by him. You know, we've had a lot of that in seasons past where it's just like you were just waiting for that, those sorts of errors to occur. And it's nice to feel like these guys are not as prone to those sorts of mistakes. Yeah. I mean, 
in soccer, every goal at a certain point is a mistake from somewhere. Like you can't, mm-hmm. and as a defender, you can always get picked apart for making mistakes. And this coming from a, a defender as mm-hmm. I play soccer. So I'm, I, I tend to be more forgiving about kind of little mistakes, possibly not in the moment when I'm swearing at the TV, but in general, I'm, I'm, I tend to be a little bit more forgiving of, uh, of mistakes because they just, you know, they happen, but it, I feel like I do trust the 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 defense at this point the the back the goalkeeper in the back four five depending on what we play i i generally do just trust i I feel like there there there's a small mistake here and there but there's not any uh calamity i guess yeah that's a good word for it calamity (laughs) (laughs) um did you want to say any more on this game i i know this was this was a solid outing and like for me the right the right sort of response toward to a two game slide, you know, like you, mm-hmm. you gotta, it's not, just, it's not necessarily enough to come out and just beat Southampton one, by, by a goal, but this, this is the type of, um, the type of game where you have to take it to them and, and try to pick you know, chip away at that goal differential and, and, and show that you are a superior team to a team that's in 16th or, you know, like pretty far down, down yeah. the table from you. I mean, I do have one more point, but the, the quick point is that it, it's never bad to have three goals in a, a shutout. Like no matter what mm. team you're playing or whatever's happening, having three goals at a, a shutout is something to be uh, really happy about. And, you know, take these happiness when you can. Mm. But kind of my, my final point is I just wanted to bring up, I've been seeing a lot online, like just on the interwebs about like how, upset people are with party and i i'm i'm so confused by this uproar about party and you know i watched the game at work for the first time and so i was kind of in and out of it uh, and then i actually s- sat down after i knew the result and after i'd read a little bit of the interwebs and i, I again i just focused on party because i saw people just complaining about him and i'm like i was so confused by it I, I he had a you know it wasn't like a stellar game but he had a good solid game he had uh the second high, i went through the statistics afterwards so he passed the eye test for me and then i went through the statistics afterwards and he had the uh second highest uh completed pass rating he had uh of on the team you know he ha- only had one giveaway the entire game I, I understand he's not a, you know, a, a, gosh, what's his name? Redhead from Man City that I'm completely blanking on right now. Oh, De Bruyne? De Bruyne. He's not a De Bruyne, but he, he's he's a completely solid and good player. And I, I hate the idea of people just like piling on a player because I think sometimes people just want to pick on a player. Yeah, I you know he 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 said as as much himself that he was not he was playing at like a four out of ten level. That's what he rated himself as, and I I don't think he is at his that's pe- harsh. peak. Well, that's what he said. I mean, like that that's that's I what mean, he, he's saying I, about I, himself. I mean, uh, who scored had him at a uh, seven point one, like the third highest uh, rating on the uh, starters of the team. Like, yeah, I I think uh, I, I mean I I just. I, I don't, I, not every player has to be in, you know, a nine out of 10 every single game. And I think he was absolutely everything I would need out of a a midfielder in a game, in my opinion. 
He was definitely fine in this game. And I, like I said, I think he, he was the one that really, or he was involved in that build up on that first goal. Um, I think he took the, he took the ball off of Ramsdale to get things going. Um, I didn't think he was as bad in this game as he has been in other games. I think he was totally serviceable and fine. And I didn't think there was any issues. Uh, but overall, I think people's expectations are just really high of, of what yeah. he was going to be and what he what he would do for our midfield. And so I think that has been the thing that he's had to kind of play through is what people want him to be and, and what he actually is and, and trying to sort that out. And I think like he, he's, he's dealt with injuries. He's dealt with different partners in the midfield. So he's not necessarily settled or at his best. Uh, but I think the expectation was that he would get there a little bit sooner. And he's just kind of had a little bit of a rough road since he came on to, to like getting to his peak performances. I, because people people had high expectations based on how he played it at Atletico, so I think that I, is where where people are setting their uh, expectations, and I just don't know that he's there yet. I mean, I think I I've, I've brought this up before, and like I I didn't actually have extremely high expectations for him coming in. He wasn't necessarily a player that I was like as on the bandwagon as other people were, and I. He's exceeded my expectations, and I think I've I've seen I saw him play for uh, Atletico. He's the Atletico Madrid's the team I follow in Spain, so I, I I've watched a few of their games with him in it, and I, I, he's doing exactly what he did at Atletico. I don't I don't I don't understand what uh, what people thought was going to be that different of a player, and and and. Yeah, like as I say, he's not a De Bruyne. He's not like you know lighting the league on fire, but he's an extremely serviceable, like a, just a good, solid midfielder. And I, I, I don't under, I, I personally just don't understand the, the love, the just like this disappointment. I, I'm perfectly satisfied with him. I mean, he's miles above any other players currently that we have on our midfield, and that includes the Conga, uh, for me. Yeah, I think. I, if this is if this is him at his best, I think that to me is a little disappointing because I kind of ex- I, I think my expectation was that he would be, um, I I just feel like at some at some points he doesn't look as in control of the midfield as I would like, like it, just not quite as solid as I'd like him to be. Um, but I, I at that said, I understand that he has maybe the one of the toughest jobs on the field because everybody's just he's everybody's just pinging balls into him and expecting him to kind of turn and, and make things happen. And I think that that expectation is why people get upset. It's because there he, he gets uh, maybe the, some of the toughest passes and he still, he still makes things happen, yeah. but it, it's, it's not like he's uh, able to turn and, and drive towards goal and, and, and score. I, I think people expect like are expecting him to be, driving forward and pushing the team forward. Whereas he is more of a, a, just a a deep passer, but not at the level necessarily as I, I I think when I think about it, I'm like, I thought he would be a better deep passer and creator and facilitator from that position, but he's just a, like he's just a solid uh, pivot point for the team to, to kind of play off of. 
Well, I'm just curious where people got that impression because he's never been that player. Like at Madrid, he start, no, he start. I, I felt like he when he came and like where he started, he was doing more of that, and he's kind of withdrawn. And it, this I, is this is what he's saying himself too. I think he he has even said he's not playing up to his potential. So I, mean, I think I, that's where I, everybody's kind of feeding off of that. I, I I don't think so. I think people are maybe grabbing onto that maybe, but. Uh, I just, I literally, I, I don't know where you got, where people got this impression that he's going to be this, you know, spraying, driving people forward. His, his job, I mean, have you seen Madrid, Atletico Madrid? Their team isn't an offensive driving forward team. They're a one nil win shutdown team. And his job in the midfield really was to hold possession and pass the ball per, uh, and not lose the ball. And that's exactly what we have. Like last game, this last game against Southampton was a perfect example. 84 pass percentage or 84 uh, pass percentage completion or completion percentage. Sorry, that was really hard to get out of my mouth. <laughs> and then you know he only lost the ball once out of all of his touches. Like it's that is what you're going to get, and I think that's a good thing to have. And especially if you have Emil Smith Rowe, uh, Saka, and Odegaard ahead of him, who are much more offensive looking. And then maybe that's also part of the things you can't have all your players being these moving the ball forward, just extremely offensive thinking players. You need, you need to eat your vegetables. And I think he's an eat your vegetable player. And I, I just, I just, I, I just don't understand the level. I think sometimes people just, you know, even when you win three nil need to, to, to harp on a player. Whereas I think overall it was a, a good performance by him. And I just feel very defensive about it. I think I, I, I I just think people's expectation of what we would get from him in the midfield was a bit more for like <clears throat> excuse me forward thinking in that he would have some key passes in, in him have some more long balls have some more through balls it's not necessarily that he has to be the driving force on our, on our offense but I think I, people were expecting him to facilitate the offense a bit more from his position and I, I don't think he's done that at all this season. He has zero key passes. So, or like, no, he had, he had two like key point, passes last game. But Literally. like his overall average is like a point at point five. I mean, that's like oh, for the overall season, that's nothing from yeah. that position. He's had a he's ha, he has had key passes, and you know he had a, you know a part in the goal, the first goal of this game. I, I, I just I don't know. I think people are expecting too much. But for the the amount of money that they put put on him and the the amount of hype he got, I think that that that's the that's hype. to be expected. The hype is all on the fans and the money he can't control. Like, well, like it, it, Arteta talked him up as this sort of player, and if 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 he's not that, then either he was recruited poorly or he has yeah. not lived up to that expectation. No, he wasn't recruited poorly. I think he's literally fulfilling a role we need in the team. It's just not a. It's just not the this like sexy, smooth midfielder that everyone wants him to be. But isn't that some like if, if he's not that, then we need to go get that because yeah, I still feel I still feel like if if he's not going to do that and we spent the money to get something that would do that in the midfield, then it's either Lakonga has to suddenly be that, which may be, but then. Or, or we're going to have to continue to rely on Xhaka to put balls forward. Yeah, I mean, they, it's, I mean, it's not coming from party. Yeah, no, it's not coming from party. But I don't. I, I, I think this may be where the uh, the discussion is 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 happening, which is I, I don't think he was ever meant to. And like, 
just because he has this uh, transfer fee tacked to him doesn't necessarily mean that our fans' expectation of what we wanted it to be is related to the money that we spent on him as far as like that uh, that type of player. That there are other things he does that are worth the money than what we expect or what the fans are expecting him to do. So I don't know. I just, uh, I think the, uh, the criticism is well overblown on him. Well, I, I think we'll, we'll have to see. I, th- I I don't think this was like a major bounce back game. It was a better game from him. But when you look back at the, at some of his performances previous to this, I think he's well under where he would want to be, where the fans want him to be. If this is like a launching point for where he can be and we get get the best out of him in the in the in the future then i think then we're on the right track but it to me it's been a lot of starts and stops and that's been the frustration with him is that he's uh between injuries and other things i just don't feel like he's been able to hit his stride and stay there yeah i mean i i can see that as fair enough i'm uh I'm I'm just saying that I think if this is a game where you like this could be like his normal position like as far or what his average position and then you know he may have other games that are much better but if this is his average game I'm 100% fine with him as a player. Yeah, but if that if this is his average game and this he hasn't been been at this level then that, I think that is the that is the problem people have with him is that this is uh, not common enough. No, I mean, I don't think it's as uncommon as people think either. <laughs> but that's, I, I, I could go, because I know I, I talked, I spoke about it a couple of days or uh, games ago where uh, people were critical of him. And again, I just watched him. I didn't think he was as bad as, you know, people were saying. I just think maybe they have expectations of things he's going to do that he's just not going to do. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps. I, 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 you know, he's he's kind of just been playing average, and I think people are expecting better than average from him for the for the age and for the money. And so I think that for if, mean, if he's if he's just the the a, a, an average player, and that's that's what we got, then maybe everybody has to adjust their expectations a bit. Well, I mean, I, I'm just going to throw it out there, and we can move on because I think we're moving in circles with this discussion. <laughs> I'll just say that uh, I think he's been an above average premier league player in his position not a great player there's a there's a difference like i if if, if you say five is an average i think he's been a six for premier league play his whole yeah. time and i don't think that's a horrible thing and i don't think it's a uh, a negative thing yeah i'd have to i'd have to compare to other to other players that, that, that do what he does but you know i expected better than a six i think i expected a seven or above and i think that's that's not a lot to expect because I think seven, you know, as a, a, a person that's averaging a seven or above, it's not even, it's not a, a seven's not amazing. I, I mean, it's, it's, just, it's a, a slightly above average. Yeah. I just, I, I mean, we, we, we're going around in circles. <laughs> <laughs> we'll come back to this party. Let's, uh, as our homework for uh, next game, let's keep an eye on party and see uh, how he does next game he's he's with us for a bit so let's see yeah. it's really like we got to get the most out of him that we can between now and afcon because who yeah. knows who knows what's going to happen when he goes goes to that tournament yeah. i mean that's exactly the point is are you excited to have him leave and have a, a jacques in any midfield 
I, I would or I want to see more Lakonga. That's yeah. what I want to see more of. And even Ainsley Maitland Niles. Let's <laughs> let's see what we got in those guys. All right. We got more to talk about. So let's 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 say a quick couple words on our next couple games, take a break, then we'll talk about everything else that's happening that we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> We've been avoiding. <laughs> yes. Um Quick, quick point. We've got West Ham tomorrow. Huge game, but we've been pretty good against them. Could this be a statement game for Arsenal, do you think? It's going to be a tough game. West Ham is looking good. I've watched several of their games and Moisa has them humming and they, they do, they do look good. And I think it would be... I think it would be a very important game for us to get something out of. I totally did not look at whether we're home or away. I should have uh, done that. Uh, it's a, I think it's a home game. I which think, uh, yes. which is helpful. Uh, it's going to be, you know, London Derby. There's going to be a lot of passion. I think it, it's going to be a close, difficult game. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that hopefully we can get some points out of. And if we get points out of it, it's something we can hold our head high for. Yeah, um, it would be a huge, huge win if we can make that happen. And, you know, West Ham's not necessarily, um, they're not in an amazing run of form, you know, they've, but they're not, they're not vulnerable by any means. So I think we, we have to figure out how to uh, take advantage of the fact that they've only won one in their last five uh, and, and go in with some confidence. So I, I, hopefully that the coming off a three, three, no win will, will give them what they need to, to feel good going, going up against West Ham at home. Um, the, the one I actually have more, more fear about is the Leeds game on the weekend. Cause it's an away Dude. game. And I, it's only because of that scoreline today that I have fear oh, because, yeah. because Arsenal is so good at making bad teams, look great and obviously yeah. when you lose i mean losing seven nil to to man city is is it happens it happens sometimes yeah. but you know we're going away from home and that's where things get seem to get to fall apart for arsenal and so you know a team that's uh you know like a wounded animal and was going to try to get get back on track i could see this being a very big trap game for arsenal yeah i mean if we hadn't just recently had the uh, Everton uh, result, which is, is, it feels very similar yeah. in a lot of ways, I would be much more confident because Leeds is definitely haven't shown the form this season that they had last season. They have some handy players. They have a lot of good players. Again, Bielsa is a great coach. I heard a quote on uh, one of the commentators, though, uh, that I was talking about Bielsa, and I love this quote, which was that his, his plan B is to do plan A better. <laughs> and uh, I, I I do think there's some vulnerability right now. They had two players. I turned off the game at 3-0 to City because I was like, like that was, <laughs> I had yeah. uh, other things to do in life. Uh, but uh, the uh, there were two players, I think, by the time I turned it off, that were going to be suspended, and they're also going through an injury crisis. So, like, there's a lot of uh, going to be some interesting shifting of players, and they're not necessarily the deepest of play of teams. Mm-hmm. 
so uh, I feel good about it. I also know that I do have all the time of day for Bielsa and his tactics and his preparation. And as I said, there's, you know, several players on that team that I have a lot of time of day for that aren't suspended. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful for these next two games. They're, they are coming thick and fast, but, uh, of the two, I'm much more hopeful about the Leeds game than I am about the West uh, West Ham game. Score prediction between now or points prediction between oh. now and next week. We, oh, you're we, going to embarrass me again. You're going to embarrass me. I uh, was wrong about the last ones too. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you want hopeful Tim or realistic Tim? I want the the realistic what you think we're going to have. When we I record next, wouldn't be upset with three points out of the two games. It's uh, reasonable. I would be pretty happy with four points. I'm feeling four, but I—that's <laughs> for—that's maybe optimistic. Yeah. Now four is the optimistic me. Three is the more realistic. I think we one of those games is winnable for sure. Hmm. It kind of depends on how we go, how we do against West Ham. It might yeah. inform how Leeds plays out, but let's leave it there for right now. We've got a big topic to talk about in the second half of this show, and it might be a whole other hour at this rate. Uh, but uh, when we come back, we'll talk about the Oba situation and uh, the captaincy. So stick with us. We'll answer your questions about all that in just a moment. back from the break we've got a bit more for you to today we've got you know maybe the biggest news this week and one of the bigger news items of the season and and maybe the most inevitable thing ever because i think tim and i have had this you know we've had this conversation a lot uh, that maybe this wasn't a good fit but i don't want to talk around it too much longer you know abameyang is no longer the arsenal team captain and that was uh, announced following his uh, bench, well, not even benching, his exclusion from the, the Southampton game. Um, you know, it was due to another uh, discipline issue or uh, a, a, a breach, as they <laughs> might be, have heard it called. Um, it... it, it was directly related, it sounds like, to uh, an, an issue with his timing on coming back from a trip to pick up his mother from France, I believe, and uh, that caused he, he got back late, was not able to take his uh, COVID test in time to be involved with the team, uh, and that was Thursday. Yes, and then yeah, it was not. Not able to be involved in the the, the game um, because of that that issue, uh, and then today we we get the announcement from the team that he's been stripped of the captaincy, and so that's the the big news of the week. And um, yeah, like I said, I, I'm I'm not sure we have ever felt he was the right right man for the job, and that's. 
that to me is super frustrating because when you look back at how he got the captaincy, it was kind of like this perk that was thrown in as like a make a make good or you know something to kind of sweeten the deal when he signed his his uh, extension. And it's it's a frustrating thing to think that somebody or some group of people thought it was a good idea to throw the captaincy around like it was some perk i don't know just just some perk like it, it didn't matter whether it fit his personality it was like maybe it was one of those things where like hey we're giving you this money we want to see some return on it so we're going to make you the captain too and that's how we're going to justify giving you this pay bump you know personality or any of that didn't play into this the decision it was like a here's a high profile player who are resigning and we're just that that just automatically gets you the captaincy cuz i don't know where else that came where else that would come from yeah i mean i know both of us were reserved about it when it happened and you know i'm well on record and anyone who hangs out with me for a little bit i'll get on my soapbox oh i think strikers tend to be the worst captains anyways <laughs> it's a that's a weird thing. Like, I mean, A, I tend to be on, uh, Fabio Capello had this whole thing with the English national team many, many years ago about how the captaincy isn't actually that big of a deal. And that specifically in England, they make a much bigger deal out of it than, than they really should. Because, you know, he really the captain is an on-field operations manager, right? That it, his job is to talk to the referee and to try and help, uh, you know, relay the coaches uh you know instructions to the rest of the team but it's 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 become this very ceremonial position it feels very english in a lot of ways a very classy like you know like a nobility type of thing uh but that being said it should always be someone you know either keeper defender someone who has a wider range of the pitch and who's also very vocal and you know obama Yang's none of those and neither or yeah, none of those things. I've always felt like it, it, whether it's the captain or not, you the 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 coach needs a player that is an extension of himself on the field, and whether it doesn't necessarily matter whether they're the same type of person or anything like that, but somebody who's gonna absorb what the coach is trying to do and make sure that the team is adhering to that. The coach can yell and scream all he wants on the sidelines, but you do need somebody that's on the field that is going to make sure that that is being done. And when players aren't living up to that, when they're not pulling their weight, when they're not doing what they should be doing, you have a word. You say you you, you let them know that you know you you need to be doing more. You need to step your game up. This is what the expectation is, and a lot of times that is done by it not. You don't even necessarily have to say anything to players, but you show it, you know, like you lead by example. And I just, I cannot think of an instance when Aubameyang has done any of that, has checked any of those boxes. And it, when you're talking about leading by example with all of the discipline issues that he's had and all the things that we probably don't even know about, because I can't imagine that this is all because of the stuff that we know about. That's just the stuff that was like, you know, they had to say something about because it was like, you know, he's not in the game today. We have to say that there was a disciplinary issue. You can't hide it. So you got to think that if it came to the point where he was not 
able to be captain anymore. That there was a long list of things, or at least a a, a short list of very egregious things that led them to this decision. Well, I mean, like I, I saw a, a graphic somewhere on on TV that was talking about like the, just the the ones we know of. Like there there are three infractions we know of that he he perpetrated. They uh, perpetrated. That sounds very vicious, but uh, <laughs> the, that that happened. It was a uh, you know the thing that happened before the North London Derby. He also went broke uh, COVID protocol to get a tattoo, which they didn't punish him for. And also, uh, he, uh, you know, this late, latest issue. And, it, you know, I, I have a feeling and the word that is like kind of like the scuttlebutt that's coming out from the background is that this is definitely not the first time that this has happened, you know, quite a bit. And the team has been very lenient with him. We, you know, we gave him all, or we, the team gave him all the time off when he went, when his mother was sick with a malaria and, you know, the team has been very, you know, understanding, but to be a captain, you really do need to, to, to show that you're involved and literally the least you can do is just show up in time. And I know that different places and different uh, cultures have different ideas of punctuality and on-timeness, but I, I feel there has to be some sort of, understanding that you have to show up on time for, you know, making these COVID tests and making these different things that you have to do. Yeah. It just seems like there's a general sense that even if it was an honest mistake, that there was some other things that were going on that were making people think, well, even if this is a mistake, it's in a series of things where he has not stepped up his level to where they thought was appropriate for somebody who's the captain or somebody who's one of your highest paid paid players. So that, that doesn't go unnoticed. Your eyes are, there's a lot of eyes on you when you're the captain. There's a lot of eyes on you when you're a highly paid player. So every little thing is going to be dissected, especially from your employer who's going, well, did we make a mistake giving him all this money? You know, (laughs) is he, is he living up to it? And when you're on like, I guarantee a lot of this gets swept under the rug if he's playing well and having a good attitude. And I think that's gone out the window as far as glossing over these issues, you know, like the the on-field results. And, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not going to put words in his mouth. I'm not going to say that he's uh, got a bad attitude or anything like that. I can't see that from what I'm seeing on the field, but if he's scoring goals and, 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 Doing all, uh, doing what he needs to do in spite of this extra stuff. I think this is a very different situation, but I think it's it's all added up to where we're at right now. Well, I, I think there's a possibility that this might be a good thing for him in some ways. That uh, you take mm-hmm. away a little bit of that pressure. He's no longer the captain, the totem of the team. He's just another striker, and if he can just hold on to that, then you know hopefully he can find some vein of form. Do, do you feel like the, the team handled this the right way? Like it, it based on what we do know and based on how it came out and what, what, how it was presented, do you feel like this is the best, best way forward? Uh, it, it's hard. I know uh, Bill Connolly actually asked that question in uh, one of the, uh, I believe it was on Facebook. 
and it's it's hard to say i think in some ways if they didn't if they handle it behind closed doors as it were if they didn't you know explicitly address it you'd have that situation we had with Ozul for so long which is like mm-hmm. these fake injuries that were leading him out of the team right that right and everyone knew it wasn't an injury it was a disciplinary problem it was a, a you know dropping him because of form whereas i think at the very least i think uh, arteta is just an honest person that just wants to deal with things honestly and it's hard if Aubameyang isn't even on the bench and there's no injury. There's a, it's hard to justify that without telling the truth. Yeah. I think the, the results or the reaction would have been different too. Had the results gone against them against Southampton, it would have been like, well, how can you not play your best player? Mm -hmm. Why isn't he seeing the field? So I think you, you have to come as close to honesty as you possibly can to lay cover you know it's like yeah. if they no matter how the results go if you're honest and you kind of are straightforward about it then it's kind of it leaves things to be less controversial exactly i mean i think you could have these like closed door discussions even 10 years ago when they when everything was less under the microscope now Every single decision is talked about by stupid people on podcasts uh, <laughs> all the time. Like mm-hmm. there, there's 24 seven coverage there. There, everything is under the microscope. Every, every touch of the ball people talk about. Whereas I don't think it was necessarily the case before that you could probably like sweep this under the rug a little bit more. And I think, I think you have that just decision of like, do you get ahead of it or do you just, try and hide it. And I think hiding it is what we tried to do with Azul and it just didn't work. So maybe this is a a different way of uh, going about it. Well, we'll get to the inevitable captaincy question, but the two other questions I have, what what does this do for a bombing? Is there a way back? Because as, as it sounds, He's not going to be back in this game for against West Ham. And it doesn't sound like it didn't sound like Arteta's language was uh, very specific about when he would make his way back. He said that he said that Aubameyang had to do some healing first and he wasn't <laughs> ready to be back. Um, so I, first question then is where, where do you see this going with Aubameyang? Well, I mean, I, I the writing was on the wall as far as uh, Aubameyang just on performances, let alone, I don't care about disciplinary. Aubameyang hasn't been the same player for the last two years. Mm. And that's Since the cup final really hasn't been the, uh, the, the, the same player. And he's kind of been slowly moving his way to the exit door anyway. So this is just one more step in that direction. Is there a way back? There's always a way back. I mean, Xhaka flipped off the crowd <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. as a captain. Like there, there, there's always a way back if there's a will. I don't. It's it's hard to see a will, and I. It's hard to see a way back as a striker who's a 32 year old striker who's only getting older. And again, I'm just going to say I said this when we signed him. <laughs> Signing a 32 year old player to a long term contract is just bad business because 
there's always a chance that he can uh, be successful and great and be the next Ronaldo or Messi. They're still, you know, performing well after they're 32. But statistically, you're going to drop it. And every month, every day that goes by past 32, you're statistically far higher to drop off the cliff. And it really feels like that Obama Yang's dropped off that cliff. And it's unfortunate. And it's just something that happens as a human being. Uh, so is there a road back? Yes. Is it a very difficult road back? Yes. Uh, and is each day he's not playing on the pitch make it less likely that he's coming back? Yes. I got to wonder what's going to happen in January with him. I, 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 It goes one of two ways in my mind. We either find another striker and he rides out his contract in, in obscurity on our bench. Um or he finds a way to see out the rest of this season, also kind of playing on the fringes. But I got to think that one way or another, he is not going to see his contract out or they're going to yeah. end up buy, buying him out or they're going <laughs> to do some, some sort of deal where he, they, they take a part, you know, pay a part of his salary to get him off the, get him somewhere else. Yeah. Cause I just, I don't see this going to 2023 this this way yeah i mean i I have a hard time seeing him as a player in 2023 the thing is i could see him actually as a really great super sub could you imagine like throwing him on in like the 70th minute when things aren't going well and him being okay with that that would be an ideal situation but i don't think he would be happy with that and i think there's there's a there's a point where you just need to move on. And I think hopefully one of the things that the Arsenal has learned is that if you hold on like Ozil, it just turns out bad. So maybe just try and move it on earlier. Yeah. I, I don't, I see some things here that seem, make it seem like they're handling it better than they did with Ozil, but I don't know. It's, it's, it is weird. And, I will take my blame for this because the last couple jerseys I, I bought previous to this season were Ozil and Aubameyang jerseys. So <laughs> I'm just sinking this team and I'm sorry to Tierney because that was the most recent one. So if he ends up be- <sighs> becoming captain and, and just totally, or even if he doesn't become captain, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid for him and this curse that I have with my On jerseys. But field operations manager. That's what we're calling <laughs> But uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm, curious what this does for the team as well i i it feels to me like this could be a relief for some in, in some aspects at least for a bombing it could be something that's good for him as far as taking the pressure off but um when it it uh came out that he was dropped for the last game and that there was some more disciplinary issues on the horizon I was like, they can't, they can't do this captaincy thing in the middle of the season, <laughs> and and just rock rock this boat that much. But then I thought, what if not doing something rocks the boat even more? Because we just don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So I, I gotta wonder if, you know, all things considered, if 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 this was the better choice. Are we going to see this play out on the field in in a in a positive way? Like, are, are we going to see uh, some sort of change because of this? Uh, we'll see. I don't. I I don't know if there's a, an answer to that until we uh, 
see who's the captain or what happens with the captaincy and how the team reacts to it. But to be honest, other than Lacazette, I don't, I don't get the feeling that there's a strong connection with the rest of the team to Aubameyang. Like, you, you, you know, he's a teammate or whatever, but I just get the feeling like when we had the strong French Francophile or Francophone, uh, contingent i think there was maybe a stronger connection to him but right now i don't think i just don't get that feeling that he really owns the dressing room you know Mm -hmm. yeah i i i think the thing that we might see is if there was any tension if there was any negativity that was hanging over the team because of an individual, you know, like if, if Aubameyang's having a tough time scoring and he's also your captain, I feel like that is something that kind of could permeate the locker room, even despite the results, especially, but maybe especially when the results aren't going your way, maybe that's something that kind of, you, you can't help but notice when you have a leader that's not at their best and it's starting to affect their game and, I think that can start to affect the people around them. Um, but those, those are kind of intangible things. So maybe that doesn't necessarily result in suddenly, like suddenly the team's playing so much better or anything like that. But there, there can be like an addition from, from subtraction sort of thing where you, you take out something that was maybe causing some undue stress and that, that makes players play a little bit more free, a little bit more, um, it's a little, little less riding on them. So maybe, maybe, maybe we notice something. Maybe we don't. Kind of hard to say. Well, uh, going from who was captain to the uh, the elven in the room, and we had several people ask this question, including as I look it up, da, 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 including Jordan, Bill Colony, uh, Rod Nichols, and many more. To summarize it, who should be the next captain? Well, as it stands now from Arteta's press conference, it was, it's at least for the rest of this season, it sounds like they're going with the committee, the leadership committee approach, um, which seems to uh, include Lacazette, Jaka, and maybe Rob Holding as like the main, main three guys who could be captains. Um, But beyond that, beyond this season, I think that's that's kind of the question is where where do we go after this year? And uh that it, it's 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 clearly been a very burdensome position for the people who have had it most recently or not even most recently overall it can be a challenge for people to to carry that that armband for some reason at least with Arsenal it seems that way. Uh so who who do we want who do we think can can carry that weight that's that may be the better question is who can who can survive the captaincy (laughs) well i mean a i don't think captaincy by committee is a horrible thing as i mentioned earlier in here like i i think you can put too much weight on the captaincy and if you kind of rotate it through game by game basis i don't think that's the worst thing in the world uh i know it works in other leagues uh, I know Italy, for example, has a lot of captaincy by committee type of things. So that that could be a way going forward. It's just like, you know, on game day, who who do you feel is going to be the best 
player to lead that team on that game day. But otherwise, going forward, I mean, I think the two consistent names I've heard, and it's funny to say one of them, but uh, I mean, Tyranny, I think, has Captain written all over him. He just, Mm -hmm. he looks... He looks like a captain. He smells like a captain. He he just, you know, plays that position so well and just, you know, isn't afraid to, you know, make his mind known and is, you know, very good at that. And I mean, the, the case would be that he's, you know, pretty young still, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, the other one I've heard and is uh, Ramsdale. And I love the idea, but I feel like you have to be around for more than... Uh, a few games <laughs> before you can be captain. Let's let's uh, let's assume this is starting next season. Would you would you say Ramsdale will have earned his his spot if that's if that's the case? Ish, I, I I would like a, a just a full year of as as a starter mm. to be it. But I mean, it is I I I do love his passion, and he has all the hallmarks of a captain. I know some people are a little bit just like they don't like to give a striker captaincy. Sometimes a goalkeeper they don't like to have as captain because there are that further away from the uh, the action. He can't really run up to the the referee the way it, as even a center back can, you right. know, to to talk right. to the referee and that sort of thing. Uh, another name is a, a a name I think you will like to hear, which is Odegaard, who has, has captained the Norwegian national team to uh to some success and i could see that definitely as a name that that one jumps out at me like you said just because he has that experience um it's it is funny because like as you said like how how much weight do you put on the captaincy how much do you um care right It, it does it does it matter that he has that experience does that make any difference like um I, I, it has to mean something or else we just put anybody in it. Right. Like it wouldn't matter. We just like, okay, it's your turn today. We just rotate through the team and it doesn't matter who's the captain. We're just passing the armband around. Um, it's a formality. We just got to have somebody, but it, it, it does mean something and it does, it does carry some, some weight and added pressure. I think you have to perform, you have to be in the lineup, you have to do certain things and you have to, stick to the team rules and all that, all that stuff. Um, so to me, it, it is like, who's going to lead by example. And I think those, those three guys, you know, Ramsdale, Odegaard and, and Tierney would all do that. I think that's built into their personalities. Um, to me, I think Odegaard would be my pick just because of that experience. And because he's been, He's been to other te- you know, he's been to other big teams. He knows kind of, he, he's he's been doing this for for a while, even though he's pretty young. So I think if you're looking for somebody who's part of this young group, who has uh, a lot of experience despite his age, I, I, that would be that would be where I would lean. Yeah, and as I said, like I I'm actually happy with doing it by committee because I don't think just anyone can do it, but I think multiple people can do it, and. I, I there is I think sometimes people use the captaincy as a way to get the best out of a player that you 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 throw on the captaincy and hope that they pick it up and like it, it just puts spurs them on to another another level. Sorry, 
not surprised as a man. That's I don't use that word. Uh, it's like how you can't say Trump card anymore. Yeah, exactly. Uh, pushes them on to another level. Uh, but uh, but there is that that heavy burden, and I think you know a good example of how not to use the captaincy is Obama Yang. I think it's very clear now that it was just not correct a correct decision. So. But uh, I, th- I think any of those three people that we just talked about right now would be good. I would throw out another name, which could be interesting, which is Gabriel. He doesn't, I don't, he, I don't know his English language ca- capability because communication, I think, is a very big part of it. Being able to talk to the ref and talk to the other players is a big part. But uh, as far as just, you know, a player who is consistent plays on the team is in the right position. I, I, I think Gabriel could be another shout out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, we've said, we've said a lot that there's a lot of leaders on this team throughout, you know, scattered throughout the field. Um, who, who's, who would be the guy week in week out? I think maybe you're right. It's, I, I would, it wouldn't shock me in the least if we came into next season and Arteta was like, we're going to, we're going to stick to the committee thing and we're going to have a core group of three or five guys that, are going to take on that mantle and be leaders on this team and rotate the armband and that sort of thing. Cause I think that makes a lot of sense in some ways, but we, we also, I, I, I mean, Emer- Emery tried that and, and we kind of scoffed at that. So I, I don't know. It, it just depends on how, ex- how it's executed. But uh, yeah. um, I think you, you have to, I, I think, like you said, you had to, you have to kind of, try to find people that have a strong voice in there, but also people who are going to step their game up to meet that challenge and aren't going to crumble under it. You know, I think that's been a, a problem for Aubameyang is he <laughs> maybe never, maybe it was a, a imposter syndrome sort of thing where he never felt like he was supposed to be captain. And so it kind of just, <laughs> he was waiting for everybody else to figure it out. <laughs> um, so we got a, another another question here from from Rod Nichols, and he asked, "Is is any one player bigger than the club?" I mean, it's it's that that is such an easy question, which is no, of course not. And I think, I think with it, it could be with certain certain teams, you have that totemic player that is very necessary for the club to 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 succeed. And, you know, I mean, Grealish may have been that for Villa. You had, you know, in the past certain players that if they left, the club really does just sink back down to obscurity. Pretty much any Ronaldo team because you have to build the team around him to make it work. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then, but it's usually with smaller teams, I find that like you have these players that like they come up through the system somehow you get them on the team and they're just, you know, the team. But for a team like Arsenal, it's never the case. I, I, I think there's no one that's bigger than the club. I think everybody's droppable, everybody is excludable, and the 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 team will survive beyond. You know, we survived past Azul, we survived past uh, Adebayor, like we survived past these players, uh, and so no, I mean it's easy. <laughs> What are your thoughts? Are there is there a player that you could see as bigger than the club? I think in the past we've had those sorts of players where they they carried a lot of the weight of the team. 
Um, and when they've left or gotten injured, we've seen the, the team kind of fall, fall apart. But as it stands now, now that they've kind of, if, if, if you remove Aubameyang from the equation and you just look at everybody else right now, it's a very level playing field. You know, like there's a lot of young guys. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of unity there. And I think that that comes from what Arteta has tried to instill and this idea of getting back to being a true team that plays for each other and um, holds the the club above everything else and really driving that home. Uh, so I think under the ideal conditions, under what Arteta is trying to do, you don't want to have any any one individual that's above everybody else. You kind of you want to have a bunch of guys in the trenches who are are, are going to fight for each other. And if you have a, an individual who is um, putting their own needs, their own things in front of that, it's not going to work. I think that's that's why Arteta has to. Stick to his guns on this, and and um, make sure that this is an example to everybody else. And it's in, uh, it's unfortunate that our uh, Abomang has to be the whipping boy in this case. You know, as far as like having to be an example and having to continually make these mistakes and 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 now ultimately pay for them. But I I don't think Arteta is wrong in making sure that everybody understands where the line is and it's something that cannot and should not be crossed. And I, I, I don't think that's a bad thing to establish. Yeah. And I, you bring up a very interesting point and something like I'm, I'm hopefully going to propagate with uh, our listeners and everyone I talk to is just because we're not exactly excited about Obama Yang and all that thing to make him like a, a whipping boy and to make him a, a scapegoat and to like, you know, you know, make like try and put him into the the city square, ringing the bell, yelling shame at him. I don't think <laughs> is productive or good. I think it's something that th- this happened, and then we should all just move on and not hold on to it, and and realize it's best for everybody. And hopefully, that Obama Yang can be a productive part of this team in his new role as not captain. Like I, I, th- I don't think it serves anybody to just like instantly throw him in the doghouse and hate him forever. And I think. Soccer fans are so easy, sports fans in general, but soccer fans are so easily you do that. And I remember that with Diaby. I I'll always bring up Diaby. I remember with Diaby. I remember it. Uh, you know, it happened with Jaka, which I don't think was. I mean, I think he 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 earned it more than most, but still, like you know, he can still be a productive part of the team. And I think with Aubameyang, we shouldn't just like instantly say he's like the scourge of the team and everything wrong with Arsenal and um, it's just this happened and we move on. Uh, yeah, I think that's, that's, that is good advice because it does not, doesn't, doesn't do anybody any good to try to force him out. I think that if we can repair this and, and get, try to get the best out of him with what's left of his contract, I think that's, ideal. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know where he stands. I don't know where the relationship stands, but um, it, it it cannot hurt to have a Bamiang playing for you, even if it's um, only for a little bit longer. I think we, we need as much as we can get to push for that top top spot, that top six. Um, 
Okay, one last question from Jonathan Jonathan King Monilis. Uh best Arsenal captain since Vieira. It's 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 an interesting list. There are some very stinkers there. Like I saw <laughs> I saw William Gallus pop up pop up on that list. I'm like, ugh. I saw Robin Van Persie, who I know both uh Jonathan and you don't hate as much as I do. Uh but there it's, are it's a- Dutch love. Yeah, I know. It's a Dutch love. <laughs> uh, but there, there are a couple players that like uh, peek out to me. I mean, I think uh, the one that instantly jumped out to me was Chess Fabregas. <laughs> and I think it's just because mm. I love that man so much. Like, I I think he did have that captaincy. Despite, you know, kind of growing up in Barcelona, he did uh, come to us at a young, impressionable age and really did, you know bleed arsenal and i think still does to a large extent bleed arsenal and uh i think he and you know being in the midfield he could be a serviceable captain he's the the first one i have a couple others but i don't want to take away all your your answers i i i i don't want to sound like a a total homer here but the um i the the player that stands out to me most is is arteta like i i think he is the the quintessential captain material because he is willing to, I mean, obviously since he's a coach now, I think he's, he's willing to do the hard things. And he also is a student of the game and, and really pays attention to the details and cares a lot about what happens um, from top to bottom. And I think that is uh, a key to being a good captain is, is caring about the little things. Because if you're if you're paying attention to those things, there's a lot of correctable things. There's things you can take to the coach. Like you are that bridge between the players and the coach, and so it is. It is your responsibility sometimes to um, pick up on things that the coach can't see from day to day, and maybe uh, and being able to convey those things in in the right language and and um, understanding what that what the repercussions of those things are on the field and how that plays out. I just think he has the right sort of mind and mindset for that for that role, and that is why he's translated into a coach. Yeah, I mean, I think it's telling that uh, you know he didn't spend a ton of years. It was like his best years really were at Everton, but we remember him as Arsenal fans very fondly, and I think that shows you his impact on the pitch and his uh, ability as captain. The only other one I would throw out there is the big fucking German, the BFG, Bernardo uh, uh-huh. I think, I think really at the end of the day, that's exactly who you want as a captain. Strong-willed, you know, able to see the pitch, uh, able to to get across the message. I, yeah, I, I think more than Fabregas for me, Bernardo Sacker is uh, my choice. And I think if you talk about guys that bleed Arsenal, you're looking at you know, our, our head coach and our academy, <laughs> our academy coach. I mean, those guys, those guys have doubled down and, and, and put themselves into the thick of it for this, t- for this club. And I think that that's, is a sign that they were good captains and are, you know, that has translated into further success for them. And, uh, I think it, it, it does take a, a certain, uh, level of, of education and, 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 in in the sport to be a good captain and they've they've translate that they've translated that into coaching and managing um you know it, it, taking that to the next level so it's it's not for nothing i think that there's uh 
um, that that captaincy does lend itself to further success down the road. Yeah, exactly. And hopefully we get the next one in uh, line or maybe the next committee in line. We'll uh, carry on some of those traditions from those two. Yeah, I think it, 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 if you're drawing a direct line of like where success, you know, the players that that are that become captains, that become coaches, that's that's the type of to me, that's the type of captain that I want. The guys that go from players to captains to pundits, I'm like, mm, <laughs> maybe that's not that wasn't the guy. <laughs> I mean, Patrick Beer is also uh, coaching right now for uh, Palace. I don't know where that leaves me with Henri. I still don't know how I feel about him as a pundit. It, every time I hear him talk, it sounds like he, at least lately, it sounds like he's just kind of angling for uh, to kind of put some digs in on Arsenal and, and take him down a notch so that he can wiggle his way in either to the coaching job or to that whatever the Daniel Leck thing is. <laughs> I just read in that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I think with a. Henri, he, I hope he never becomes a coach of Arsenal because I've I, I've seen enough of his coaching to know. I think he would be a good assistant coach. I think his role on the uh, it is the Belgian national team where he's like the strikers coach. I think that's a good role for him. But as a head coach, mm-hmm. he's too t- tactically naive. But that's way far off the topic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we are. We are far beyond our captaincy talk here. So. I think that's a great place to end. We've gone far beyond anything we should, you know, we we probably should have ended 20 minutes ago, but (laughs) here we are. Um, So much to say. And I think that we've said it all. So let's, let's wrap things up. Uh, Thank you for sticking with us this long. Hope you've enjoyed everything we've, we've had had to talk about this week. Uh, If you haven't reviewed and subscribed wherever you're getting this, this podcast right now, you should definitely do that. If you've done all that, go tell a friend, pass us along. We need word of mouth because nobody's going to listen to us uh, unless you're out there spreading the word. You know, I, I think that's the easiest way to get get people to listen is if uh, you have something good to say about it. So go tell somebody about the podcast. That'd be a big, big help. Uh, questions and comments and all those things can come come to us in several ways. Twitter is one of them. At W of N London is the the Twitter handle for us. Uh, email us at westofnorthlondon at gmail.com. Voicemails can be sent uh, via anchor.fm slash westofnorthlondon slash message. And we have a Discord where you can leave questions or just chat with us on game days and, and beyond. Um, I tried to drop that link in our Twitter, so that's uh, one place you can pick it up. Um, if you just want to reach out to us directly, one of those places, Twitter, email, etc., we will get you in, in, into the Discord, and we'd love to have you there. Uh, of course, Bobcat is uh, the provider of our theme song. They are a band from Seattle, and you can find all their information at bobc.at. That is their website. And you can find their album, No Course to Follow, and much more there. So go check that out. That's all for us this week. We'll be back with another one soon. So as always, see you at the next gun show.